We've been stopping real estate developers when we could have been hunting Dracula? Are you kidding me? My life is meaningless. Welcome to another episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo, the podcast where we delve into the mystery of Scooby-Doo media, getting clues from people who helped bring our favorite mystery-solving dog to life on various platforms, and maybe eating some Scooby snacks along the way. I'm your host, Alexa Lawler. Scooby-Doo, where are you? And it would have been mine if it hadn't been to those meddling kids. Gang, we've just been handed our next mystery. Blasted meddling kids. I hope you guys enjoyed last month's Mystery Incorporated theme as much as I did, but this month we're back to a variety of different interviews. And kicking off the month, we have Jeremy Adams. Jeremy was one of the writers on Scooby Natural, the Supernatural crossover, and he also wrote the 2019 film Return to Zombie Island. Let's get into the interview. Jeremy, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. So if you're up for it, I start off with three questions of Scooby-Doo related trivia. Oh man, this is going to be embarrassing, but go ahead. If I was Jim Krieg, I could answer these and tell you everything, but I know how my brain is. So uh, this is going to be interesting. Go ahead. Okay, hit me. (laughs) Uh, so to start off, in Scooby Natural, when the Winchesters mention the killer stuffed dinosaur in the Scooby world with the gang right there, mm-hmm. uh, they cover it up with the fact that they are writing a book about killer stuffed dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. What is the title of the book? Oh, uh, 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 killer Stuffed Dinosaurs in Love, I think. It's something yes. like that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes, it is. Can I, can I, side note, I was begging them. And I still might do it. I was thinking of getting, like, doing an actual book called that and get it illustrated. I think it would be hilarious. And uh, I would totally uh, sell it for, like, probably probably charity, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> All right, number two. And second question. Uh, also in Scooby Natural. When they open the door to see the dismembered body, what is Fred's reaction and what does he say? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Fred says, uh, uh, oh, I think it, he was just so blasé about it. It was like, oh, we better go tell the gang. It was, I forget, I'm trying to remember. Oh, man. Uh, I don't remember. It was something like that. It's like, well, we better get the gang. I forget. It was uh, immediately, well, that's not good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, that is, that is, uh, that is, I, I use that line a lot, but that was perfect for Fred. <laughs> <laughs> and last question for the trivia. Uh, yeah. For in Return to Zombie Island, uh, what phrase does the gang take to be an island greeting when they get on the island? <laughs> get out, right? Get yes. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was such an unusual project. I can't even tell you. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it. 
<laughs> so. Definitely. <laughs> um, so to start off the general questions, what's your relationship to Scooby-Doo? Did you grow up watching? Yeah, absolutely. So Scooby was one of those shows that always just seemed to be on. Um, and for me growing up, you know, it was a classic Scooby-Doo and it was always the interesting thing about Scooby-Doo is always like the backgrounds of the monsters were actually quite terrifying. And, um, what I loved because this is in the pre meta universe that I grew up in, uh, they would always have those guest stars. And if I could get Batman and Robin as a guest star, I was in heaven. That or the Harlem Globetrotters. And uh, and so you would have these weird guest stars that would show up. But I grew up with Scooby-Doo, like everyone, I think. And, and it, you know, it, sometimes it's like as a kid, you know about it and, and maybe you ingest it in some way. And then, you know, you, you kind of get it older or whatever and you forget about it and then it starts seeping back into your consciousness and for me i started working at warner brothers and one of my uh first projects there was working on these scooby-doo lego shorts and um that were really short done by stupid buddy which was amazing in fact i don't know if you've seen them but there's these anim they're they're stop motion animation and um i beg them because Stupid Buddy was so good and they plussed everything so much and they were able to turn it around so quickly. I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to have a Lego Scooby stop animation show uh, because they're really, really fun um, to work on. And, and of course, I have a, a working relationship with Jim and Jim is like the Scooby-Dooologist. He loves Scooby-Doo and knows everything about Scooby-Doo. So I was kind of um, in an inundated with kind of his philosophy behind scooby which it, like i in one hand i still believe in another hand i'm like oh you could do it differently if you needed to but he is a fundamentalist he's like no there can never be anything supernatural ever so it's really funny that he and i uh you know wrote the scooby natural script in which there actually is <laughs> something supernatural um and to delve into those uh, Lego shorts a little bit yeah. more, uh, how did you come to work on them? Uh, so I was, I was working, I think we had done Justice League action at Warner Brothers and Jim had said, hey, Jeremy, would you want to do some of these Scooby shorts? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I came up with a ton of ideas and then we just kind of picked the best 10 and um, they, were, they were first little snippets, like little just thumbnails. And we got them approved and then I just wrote out quick little, um, it might've been one or two pages of scripts and sent them off. And I swear, like it was only like two months later, they came back. My favorite one is the um, Scooby and Shaggy on trick or treating because they realized they get free candy at Dracula's doorstep and they keep, keep ringing the doorbell dressed as something different. Uh, and uh, I, I had, those are really a lot of fun, um, but it gets you in the, the vibe of Scooby-Doo. And then obviously that led to some other stuff. <laughs> and did those just air on YouTube or did they ever air on TV? No, I think they were just on YouTube. Um, I, I believe so. Uh, unless they were on Cartoon Network, but I'm not entirely sure. I think it was just YouTube. And what was it like to work on a project that was like strictly online? I mean, it's, it's, it's great just because I have two daughters and I feel like, to give you an example, I, I don't know if it was, 
when it was maybe last summer, I feel like there was some sort of Olympics or something. And we turned on live TV for the first time ever. And my kids were uh, uh, like, dad, there's this place called Chuck E. Cheese and we need to go there. Like they had never seen a commercial to save their life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, and I, you know, you realize in those moments like, Oh, um, most people consume their media online. And so the fact that it's on YouTube, I would dare say, I, I don't know the stats, but I, I'm guessing probably people watch more things on YouTube than they do on any particular channel. Um, so the fact that it was on YouTube just makes it that much easier to share, to send to friends and send to people. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, to me, it's like immediate instant gratification that people get to see it versus having to wait and watch it, you know, on a channel somewhere. Definitely. Uh, and moving more towards uh, Scooby Natural here, yeah. um, watching the making of special feature, yeah. um, the whole idea was originally yours. Is that right? Yeah. So what had happened was a, a few years before Scooby Natural, uh, they were looking for Scooby ideas at Warner Animation. And I'm, you know, I was, am a huge fan of Supernatural as Vanna Scooby-Doo. And I was like, guys, this would be a perfect match. Like, we should do this. And I was told that's a dumb idea. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay. But I was, I, I'm, I tend to get kind of relentless on ideas that I really like. And so I would, I would keep sending Jim and, and different people like memes I'd find. And I'd be like, look, this is in the zeitgeist. This is perfect. I, I think these would just be, this would really work. And then one of my old friends that that's a writer on Supernatural ended up becoming the showrunner, Andrew Dabb. And I said, uh, you know, oh my gosh, you know, we should do this. And I was texting with Jim and I said, we should really do this. And he said, well, why ask Andrew if we could do it as one of his shows? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I did that, but yeah, I'll ask again. And so I, I texted Andrew and Andrew was like, yes, absolutely. And so I said, Jim, you know, if I, by texting Andrew, you now have to get this to happen on the, the Warner Brothers side. And so Jim walked out of his office and there sitting on the little coffee table was an entertainment weekly with Jensen and Jared on the cover. And he grabbed it and he went into Sam Register's office and he's like, listen, um, you know, we want to do this, you know, as a Supernatural episode. And they were like, great, perfect. And so within a half an hour, it all kind of came together and everybody was on board. And Jim and I are so cynical that we kept thinking, well, this is going to get nixed at any moment. And we had like a budget meeting. We're like, okay, this is where they're going to cancel this thing. And, and then it was like the supernatural people were like, oh, that's it. That's all it costs. Yeah, we can do that. And we're like, oh, oh really? But the, the whole trick of it was we had to write it like a year in advance almost just to get the animation done. Um, it was, it, it was, a it was, you know, obviously collaborative from uh, stem to stern and, and not just Jim and I writing it, but like you had Andrew who was like throwing in jokes and, and suggestions. And then you have Spike who, uh, directed the animation portion and he just, you know, knocked it out of the park. It was, uh, it, it was awesome. It was especially seeing it at the Paley fest that they had. And they premiered it there was, 
I don't know if it's ever going to get better than that in terms of the thousands of people screaming and laughing. It was, it was pretty overwhelming. It, it's been one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of, honestly. And what was it like to see it all come together? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it was amazing. It was not just amazing because uh, we did, uh, you know, like I said, we wrote it about a year in advance. And um, and then you kind of like in a lot of times in animation, you kind of forget about it. You send off things, you know, uh, Spike took it. He was showing us the animatics and we're like, this is crazy. This is really good. But then you kind of just stop thinking about it. And then suddenly um, it, it was like, couple months before it aired they hadn't you know they shoot the live action stuff uh a couple months before it airs and so they were going to shoot the little live action bookends and um jim was like oh we got to get up there we got they got to let us go up there you know and so we were able to go up there and that was even better because i remember sitting there and when jensen comes down and his ascot and i was like are you kidding me right now this is uh the craziest thing ever um and so then, you know, we got to be in the background of, you know, the last scene when he goes Scooby Dooby Doo, you know, uh, it, it was, it was, it's fantastic. I mean, to see anything made is wonderful that you do, but to see it be this kind of strange meta combination of one of my favorite shows and Scooby-Doo and everybody kind of responded to it pretty, almost everybody responded to it favorably. Uh, it was great. It was really great. And why did you decide to use a night of fright is no delight for the base of the episode? That was uh, Jim. He loved that. And his thought process, um, uh, his thought process was that, listen, this is a contained area. This is a good, like, classic setup of a haunted house and so that was and it was a great great name you know so we uh we just jumped on that and uh that was the the kind of spine that we decided to write this story i guess it, the story could be anywhere else uh because scooby-doo can be somewhat formulaic in certain ways but that was that was the one that jim wanted to do and i was full all for it it gave us some parameters too you know and obviously it was a supernatural episode, but uh, did it feel like you were bringing Scooby-Doo into the supernatural universe or vice versa? Uh, yeah, it felt like that because mainly just because we we were playing on all those Scooby tropes, but the boys are so self-aware of what's going on. So it was just like it was bringing the Scooby-verse into the supernatural universe um, I don't know that. I mean, that's a good question because it's still, we still tried to retain so much of what makes Scooby-Doo Scooby-Doo, but then obviously we have things like Daphne's existential crisis and, you know, extreme violence and, uh, you know, that, no, I would just say, I would say we were bringing it into the, the supernatural universe because if it was the other way around, I think. Um, that the boys would just act more like guest stars and they wouldn't be self-aware and, and, and they would be, you know, just part of the adventure. And was it at all difficult to write Sam, Dean, and Cass into animated form? No, not, I mean, I, like I said, I'm a big fan of the show. So I feel like I, I kind of know their voices and it lends itself. And those, and, you know, 
those actors are incredible too. So they can give, they were so good at just stepping in. Cause I don't even think Jared, I don't think Jared had ever done voice recording. Like he had done it. There was a supernatural, I guess, anime and he had, it had already been recorded. So he came in and tried to match his voice to the animation. Well, he had never done something where he gets to record, record it first and then they match the animation to his voice. Um, but they just knocked it out of the park. Like I was live streaming when they were doing it and watching it. And I was just like, man, this is great. They just walked in very natural. They got it done. I mean, it was done so quickly, but in terms of their voices, that's their characters, it, you know, it helped that I had watched obviously every episode of supernatural. And then obviously have Andrew who runs the show. So if there was anything that was a little off center, he was going to correct us. So I didn't, I didn't feel like that was a problem at all. And what were some of the things that you absolutely wanted to include? Um, we wanted to inc include, uh, <laughs> you know, there are some animation tropes like uh, the the book that sticks out inside the library bookcase. We wanted to include a chef scene that was cut, but they ended up releasing later um, because that's always a fun Scooby moment where, you know, they, they bring the monster down to sit down and, oh, monsieur, would you like some food? You know, type thing. Um, we want, you know, a good romp which Spike had put in Scrappy-Doo in the romp in the hallway of doors. We knew we wanted to um, put that in, uh, the race between Baby and the Mystery Machine. We had a list. We, like, went down, like, what are... Th there was a couple we didn't get to put in that I think we wanted to, but um, there was even a version where we were going to do the Scooby-Dooby-Doo um, song at the beginning... But I think if I recall correctly, because it's been a long time, we were going to try to do uh, animated versions of some of the Supernatural. Um, I think we were going to do like, you know how in Supernatural they'll say like, uh, uh, you know, previously or like they would do a song to like the past and they would cut together a bunch of like clips from uh, uh different parts of the show i think we we're going to try to do an animated version of that like we we're going to do an animated version of like castiel and his wings and some stuff like that but that didn't you know it just got cut for time it was it ended up being longer our, our we wrote it a little longer than probably it needed to be um yeah how far did you feel like you could push things with adding in like a bit of violence to bring it into the supernatural world you while still keeping funny, it they kept we we were fairly tame like we would say things and do things like we had you know uh you know dean saying like son of a bitch and stuff like that and we thought we were getting away with murder but uh i'll give you an example when we wrote the scene with the first character that got dismembered we didn't think they were going to show it and then spike sent us the original the first cut and it was like the it was hellraiser it was like the most violent we we're like oh my gosh and it was again one of those things where we kept thinking they are not going to let us do this. They are going to shut us down. They're not going to let us do this. And every time everybody was just like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, you should, you know, push it there or whatever. And, <laughs> and we were just like, okay. And there's even a scene at the beginning where they're sitting in the booth and, uh, uh, you know, Sam says, oh, uh, did he, you know, how did he die or whatever? And Fred goes, cancer, you know, and that was Andrew added that in. And it was so funny and it's so dark. And we thought, oh, man, they're not going to let us do this. But they did. For whatever reason, everybody just decided to let us get away with everything. I mean, the notes 
well, usually you have a bunch of notes call and people have a lot of like suggestion, but the notes call for these, this one, especially was like, wow, this is amazing. Wow. We really love this. Wow. This is great. And we just kept looking at each other. Like this is the, I've never had this happen. This is the best thing ever. <laughs> you know, so, it was great. Did you have a favorite part or favorite line from the episode? Uh, you know, the existential crisis is probably one of my favorites. I also like, uh, you know, this is going to get me in trouble, but I also like Dean saying, well, Castiel's sort of like a dog. You know, I thought that was really funny. Um, <laughs> um, I, I like that Velma kept talking about Sam's shoulders. I think that's hilarious. Um, yeah, but I, I probably the existential crisis to me was really funny when Daphne's like, so wait, is there a hell? <laughs> you know, and Fred's just like, are you telling me this entire time we could be out hunting, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, vampires rather than real estate? Uh, you know, evil real estate people. I, I thought that was great, too. <laughs> and uh, working with a franchise like Scooby-Doo, did you have parents that were like, what is this? Why my three-year-old child is now scarred for life? <laughs> um, luckily, it because it was done in Supernatural, I did have a couple of people like, you know, listen, not everybody's going to be happy. And that is definitely the case when it comes to any IP or franchise that you work with. I have now successfully ruined a bunch of people's childhoods. It, it, what what they've told me, at least on Twitter, it's like, oh, you've ruined Supernatural. Oh, you've ruined Scooby-Doo. And, um, you know, you want to respond and just say, I didn't ruin anything. This is just, you know, a different, a different side tangent. Uh, but I've had people say, oh, this is, you know, I let my kid watch it and it ended up being violent. And I thought, how did you not know? <laughs> it's supernatural. Uh, they, they were really good about promoting that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I had a couple people tweet at me, but what do you do? You can't do anything. You just have to move along. It seems like ruining someone's childhood is a rite of passage in the industry. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. It's an unfortunate rite of passage. I wish I could make something that everybody universally loved, but I realize that doesn't exist and it never will. Um, so you just try to do what you can, the best you can. And, you know, if you make a mistake, you kind of realize it and go, oh, geez, maybe I shouldn't have done that and move on, you know? Definitely. Um, and let's move to Return to Zombie Island here. Sure. Um, did the studio come to you with the idea or was that something that you had pitched? Yeah, no, they had come to me and my friend Tim Sheridan and Jim, you know, they had said, hey, we want to do um, kind of uh, kind of continuations on certain certain old Scooby-Doo's. So Tim ended up doing the 13th Ghost of Scooby-Doo. And, uh, and then I was the return to zombie Island. Now I remember I always said, Jim is a, uh, you know, Scooby fundamentalist. So part of Jim's philosophy is that nothing ever, uh, supernatural really happens. So you'll see there's this kind of like, you know, we do a little bit of retconning, but we're not, you know, we try to be very careful about saying, Hey, this is, this is kind of a tangential universe. Because the first zombie island, you know, they were out of school. There was a lot of different things going on. You know, Daphne worked at a news. And so we tried to kind of cushion that in the current DTV continuity as a continuation. But we also left a little bit of room 
to say that, oh, those events did take place. This is just something, you know, like a traditional mystery based off of those old events. Um, it was, that was one of the hardest projects I worked on because there was a lot of uh, different input. But uh, uh, yeah, they had come to me about that one. And so we were trying to put our spin on it and make it more like a traditional Scooby. Um, so yeah. And when you came in on the process, was there an outline written already or did you get to kind of no, play around um, with it? Yeah, I got to play around with it. Uh, like I said, it was it was really hard because we thought, you know, we thought we had different guest stars and um, there was different input and notes. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I say it was one of the hardest projects I've worked on. Um, and, and it was, it, it was a very exhaustive writing uh, job. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that was done. My kids can watch it. It's not near as scary as the first zombie Island. <laughs> and um and it has Elvira in it, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's great. And were you familiar with the original Zombie Island before you started working on the project? I, I was familiar with it. Um, and it was because it was kind of a big deal, uh, even though I was a little older. So I went back and watched it again. And I, I mean, the voice cast is just unbelievable. And the, and the actual designs of the cat people are, are still terrifying. Um, but and it's actually it's it's actually pretty dark, but it, you know there were certain things in it that we wanted to address and not address, and and uh, and so yeah, I was familiar with it, and uh, you know you have to be in order to write try to write a sequel to it. And can you maybe describe a little bit about what that process was like for writing a sequel? So, for this one, I would I I watched zombie island and then got together with jim and then we talked about what we wanted to how did we want to tell a sequel to a story that's not set in you know current scooby continuity um which is that's the trick right so we started playing with you know the stuff that happened in zombie island happening uh you know during a summer uh for our our scooby gang and we also wanted to play with that Velma, who is the Scully of the Scooby Gang, who just will not believe that anything supernatural has ever taken place. Has this list of, you know, uh, uh, adventures they've gone on that were never really, uh, you know, satisfied to, you know, never explained to her satisfaction. So, you know this is all that kind of was the germinal part of the idea. And then it was like, well, how do we get them to an Island that they already know? And uh, why would they go to an Island they already know? And then it's like, Oh, we, well, we have to redress the Island. And then it kind of like we backdoored into the idea of like making this movie. And it's, and just like a lot of Hollywood movies that are based off of true events, everything gets stylized and everything gets, you know, changed. And you'll hear these stories of producers going like, you know, oh, you know, it, it, this isn't it, but it would be like the Lawrence of Arabia took place in the desert. Ugh, desert so unsexy. Let's let it take place in a, you know, <laughs> in a tropical paradise, you know, and and they will change things willy nilly. So that was kind of like the germinal part of that. And then once you start 
you know, then it just is kind of a weird snowball effect where you start just spitting ideas and trying to come up with like, oh, that would be fun or that would be fun. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of how it started. And what was it like to tackle a sequel to arguably one of the most popular Scooby-Doo movies? It wasn't easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy. And, um, you know, sometimes you just have to do... Uh, you just have to try to do the best you can and try to satisfy your bosses and, and at the same time, hopefully make something that's fun and, and, and people will like uh, something with like zombie islands. We were never going to get as dark as that got. And we weren't going to, because that was, I think that was the main appeal of the original zombie Island was that it scared the crud out of kids at that time. Not only that, it was it was a departure for the Scooby Gang. It was telling a story that was kind of like post Scooby Gang. And it was like getting the band back together and doing this thing. And so we weren't telling that story. Um, so it, it definitely is an uphill battle. I think knowing what I know now, I might do things differently, but I I I think we we all kind of knew it was going to be a hard, you know, road to hoe, honestly. Um, but I think Rick, especially was executive producer on it, did an incredible job uh, with what we had. And, and I think there's some real fun, great stuff. Uh, uh, you know, Higgins um, is so good in it uh, as the director. And I love him from, you know, things like, uh, you know, best in show and, and uh, he was so funny in the booth that I, 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 I just wanted to, I wish I would have known right away. I would have written to him like constantly, but John Michael Higgins is like, he was just, he was just killer. So yeah, it, I, that's all to say that uh, it was hard to write a sequel. <laughs> And uh, taking a movie that does have those supernatural elements, uh, why is it so important these days for the continuity to have like non-supernatural elements at all? I honestly don't think it's an important thing. I think it's just a taste thing. So I think that some of the, like Jim and people that are, you know, probably Jay, I don't know if Jay is like that. But some of the people that are dealing with it now, they grew up with Scooby being a particular thing. You know, the thing that Carl Sagan said about Scooby is that the reason it's so wonderful is that it shows you that at the end of the day, it's there for kids to show them that like, hey, there's nothing to be afraid of, you know, that kind of science wins the day and that you don't need to be scared of anything. It's all explainable. And so that was the main thrust of Scooby originally. And then I think with anything, whether it's comic books or movies or whatever, um, the kids that watch it grow up and think, oh, you know, I'd love it if Scooby actually saw something supernatural. That would be different. And then you go down that route for a while. And then the other people come back and I think it, it's a weird pendulum. So I have no doubt what will happen in the next, you know, 10 years is that the Scooby pendulum will go back and it will be like all supernatural and like real scary stuff, you know, and then it'll swing back the other way. I honestly think it's just a taste thing. I don't think it's an important thing. I think it's just, you know, how people perceive Scooby, the people in charge that kind of like shepherd 
Scooby into the next generation. It's how they perceive it, perceive it for me. Um, and how did Elvira become part of the movie? Well, um, I'm trying to think how much I can reveal, but I believe um, that you can see the, you've seen the trailer for the new Halloween um, Scooby-Doo. Yes. Yes. And so we have seen that. Uh, I'm trying to remember what I can say, what I can't say, <laughs> but um, basically in a way we were trying to set up this trilogy we, you know, Tim and I were, and Jim were calling it a little bit, which was that, um, you know, there's a certain amount of, I don't know how much they stuck to it because after, after this, I didn't really have any more involvement uh, in, in those movies, but um, Elvira just seemed like a great setup. I, you know, I'm a big fan of Elvira's all of us are, especially if you're grew up at a certain time. And so we thought, Oh, this will be really good. Um, to put her in a Scooby and oh yes, I can't say it. So then you saw in the trailer for the, the Scooby Halloween Elvira is in that as well. So I think there's a little bit of bleed over into uh, that movie um, as along with 13th ghost. I think they're, they're all kind of part of the same trilogy. Okay. And what was it like to kind of play up Fred and Velma with Fred's, loss of the mystery machine and Velma's skepticism. <laughs> um, you know, I think we, uh, so my original pitch for Velma was that she was the one that like, you know, kind of went crazy and didn't want them to leave the Island because she was so obsessed with trying to make sure that they figured this out to her satisfaction. Um, and, and so we had to move away from that, but her skepticism, obviously we played it to you know, she went to the the extreme, but usually she's right. She's kind of the smartest one, I think. And she usually can figure it out. Um, uh, but I like playing that up. I like playing the fact that she thinks there's a rational explanation. It helps ground the team because you have Fred and Daphne that are really like, hey, let's solve it. But Velma, I feel like, you know, make sure everybody's pointed north. Like this isn't a monster. This just has to be explained. And then you have obviously uh, Scooby and Shaggy that are just losing their minds the entire time. Fred as his obsession with the mystery machine, we thought would be really funny, especially he's kind of like, he, he feels like he's daydreaming it and he sees it. And, uh, and he, you know, Fred is this peculiar character that kind of has this false bravado, right? Like he, he thinks he's, maybe better at things than he is like he thinks he's better at making traps and in this movie he thinks i could be a stunt man sure and you know and, and it, that ends horribly but um but his desire for the mystery machine uh we just thought would be kind of comical i think it came across pretty well and what was it like to write that flashback scene where it kind of goes through the events of the original movie uh you know it <laughs> It's it, it's fun. I mean, you you write something and and you kind of you know, I was trying to put us like kind of make a synopsis of what had happened before because this to a degree this is also kind of a standalone too. If you can, you're coming to this movie like my kids haven't seen the original because I don't want to scar them. And so but they could watch this one and kind of get the gist of what happened before. Um, and maybe when they're older, we'll watch the original one together, but I still think it's pretty scary. Um, uh, but yeah, it's always fun. It's fun to be able to recap something that happened before. 
And uh, why make the director have a bit of a crisis in burning down the boat to finish the movie? <laughs> um, because have you ever met a director? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, uh, you know, I think the funny thing is, have you, uh, okay, there's this great documentary about um, Apocalypse Now in which Francis Ford Coppola is basically on the verge of suicide. Like, you know, it, it was, there was a certain director that like he, ne they needed to finish the movie at all costs and nothing was going to get in the way. And so we just heightened that Hollywoodness to make this guy be like, no, no, no we're going to finish this one way or another. And, uh, and that is more true to life than I care to explain on this podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, why does the gang just let him wander off with the treasure at the end? <laughs> because they're not in it for the money, Alexa. They're, they're <laughs> in it for the mystery solving, <laughs> uh, you know, finders keepers, I guess. There's a certain amount of just like, uh, you know, wrapping things up and those kids weren't supposed to be doing that stuff anyways. And, uh, you know, according to the sheriff. Um, but yeah, I never thought of the Scooby game in into it for money, even though that would be funny if they did uh, get a millions of dollars. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. My thinking was more like it's almost a historical artifact at that that's, point. That I mean, that's the truth. I mean, that's the epilogue that you don't see is him go trying to claim the money for himself and then being like, ooh, yeah, no. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Definitely. Uh -huh. And what was it like to work on a show that you had grown up watching? I mean, it's great. I'm having that experience over and over, it feels like. Um, it's this weird sense of deja vu in a way. So, you know, Scooby is one of those things that, predates me and will will live long after me and and i know people that will kind of poo-poo scooby-doo sometimes and think you know it's not worth their time and that's not how i feel about it at all i feel like scooby is special because we live in a time in which there are so many characters and so many different things to draw your attention and it it speaks to something that there's this really peculiar dog that people from all over the world know instinctually who it is. And um, I think that's really special to, to be a small part of that and be able to add a little bit to the sandbox of Scooby-Doo. And hopefully somebody will take some of the things I've done with Scooby later on and, and do their own version and their own spin and their own, uh, you know, take on it because I feel like my job is to just provide the tools for imagination for the next generation, just as those creators uh, gave me those tools. Um, so I think it's, it's really wild, not just for Scooby-Doo, but, you know, now working as a writer on Supernatural and doing things with Batman. It's like, I'm, I'm constantly getting to play with characters that I grew up playing as a child. So it's pretty cool. And why do you think that Scooby has lasted for so long and is still so popular? I I think Scooby and Shaggy, you know, there's certain kind of an Abbott and Costello quality. There's this kind of um, silliness in the face of fear. And I think Scooby-Doo, to Jim, what, what Jim said, you know, his kind of version is like, there is something really cathartic as a kid to watch 
you know, uh, what you think is a monster and just reveal that it's nothing more than, you know, some corrupt real estate man. There's a, there's a great quote by GK Chesterton that Neil Gaiman had done a variation on, which is basically like, we don't tell kids fairy tales to, um, to explain that dragons don't exist. Dragons do exist. We tell these stories so that kids know how to overcome them. And I feel like that is kind of the truth of Scooby-Doo. It's like we're telling these kind of quote unquote scary stories so that kids can see that really it's a mask and there's something harmless underneath it so that they can face the fear, uh, you know, with a Scooby snack and a Zoinks and, uh, and, uh, and they'll be okay. I think that covers all of the questions that I had for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to add at all? No, I mean, listen, I, I think Scooby's great. I love that people are still talking about Scooby. Um, you know, I wish I could talk about all the Scooby projects that um, I got paid for, but have not been made. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think that Scooby will be a part of my life forever. And I hopefully will continue to be able to do some Scoobies uh, from now until, you know, I'm an old, old man. And uh, just before we end, do you have any recent projects that you'd like to promote or that you can talk well, about? Yeah. So Supernatural comes back October 8th, uh, starting with my episode, my last episode. And um, I'm very excited about it. I think it's super fun. You will see some Scooby Natural elements, uh, you know, uh, shown. You've seen some of them in some of the stills that have been uh, have been released so far. Um, and then in the new year, uh, they announced uh, this really incredible Batman animated movie I did with Bruce Tim um, and Sam Liu that I am beyond excited about. Uh, that'll be in uh, the new year sometime, I think, at the beginning of next year. Not sure yet. Awesome. And what are your social media channels if people want to follow what you're up to? Uh, yeah, you can. Yeah. Twitter. Just look up Space Kicker space is an outer space and kicker as in kicker <laughs> and uh yeah that's that's kind of the main one that's where i'm at most of the time talking about nothing consequential perfect well <laughs> thanks so much again for chatting with me today thank you alexa and that concludes today's episode another huge thank you to jeremy adams for taking the time to chat with me for more groovy content, be sure to check at Unmasked SD on Twitter, at Unmasked SD Podcast on Instagram, or at UnmaskedSDPodcast.com. You can also find the podcast on Facebook under the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo Podcast. If you like this episode and want to hear more, also make sure to check those social media channels or the website. Or you can listen to older episodes wherever you like to get your podcast fix. And if you want to follow Jeremy, you can find him on Twitter at SpaceKicker. Thanks for listening, and keep an ear out for the next episode. Scooby-Dooby-Doo!